This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. This episode is sponsored by Bright Computing. Check out Spotlight On, the new podcast series featuring Bright execs and partners talking about today's latest trends in HPC. Find more details on the Spotlight On podcast in the blog or resources section of the homepage at brightcomputing.com. DOE's AI Summit. DARPA invests in fast networks. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, joined again by Tiffany Trader and John Russell from HPC Wire. Glad you could both join me this week. And John, I'm going to start with you this week because you attended virtually the uh, Department of Intelligence AI Summit, which took place October 2nd and 3rd in Chicago. I know I was kind of hoping I could go. It was at the Drake Hotel, one of my favorites uh, from years ago. It was one of the Innovation X Lab series, um, and they've had four of them. I think another two were planned, and it's part of the, um, the GOE outreach uh, to industry a bit. There were 350 attendees at this one, which was uh, pretty impressive overall. Uh, and I think the two that are coming up, Later in the year, one is on biomanufacturing, not quite sure what that's about. And the one in the spring uh, will be around quantum. So very interesting. Um, there were really two takeaways that I would I would sort of mention. To start with, AI definitely has DOE's um, and the administration's attention. Uh, I actually had missed it, but um, back in, I believe, uh, September, uh, DOE established a new AI technology office. Um, didn't even know it existed, but that's uh, in existence now. And of course, there was the executive order earlier. And Rick Perry was mentioning, mentioning that you know this is a transformative moment, and, and maybe it is. Um, but in any case, they, they they're all in. And the other uh, takeaway I would take from this conference um, was tech transfer. There's clearly a push to try and find ways to commercialize technology that's inside the DOE labs and get it out. How uh, how effective they'll be? That will be. Um, yet to be seen, I guess. Uh, however, one thing I should mention, another new launch is uh, something called Lab Partnering Service. It's really a website, but it's a way to try and match um, outside interests with inside DOE uh, expertise. So again, um, those are the two things that came out of this particular uh, conference. Uh, yeah, we've absolutely seen the administration taking a big interest in artificial intelligence and what it has to do with our nation's competitiveness on a world stage. And we'll get to the tech transfer in a second, but you know, you were, you're talking about the, the, uh, the rundown in that conference and they had some good speakers. Did they not including some from industry? Oh, it was a terrific, actually the lineup was quite good. Um, I wasn't able to go, but I did catch almost all of the live stream portions. And uh, really I thought it was um, a terrific conference from a content perspective. It was certainly more technology policy and application oriented. There wasn't a lot of delving into um, technology evaluation or selection. That said, um, there were some pretty heavy hitters from, from industry. And let me just see if I can mention a couple. So there was a terrific presentation by um, GE's Dr. Colin Paris. He has uh, he leads all of their AI, their AI, excuse me, and uh, and something all of their digital trans transformation. I have no idea what that really means, but that was the title listed. But what he did that was so interesting. You forget that GE has so many hard assets sometimes, and he reminds us, look, you know, we've got seventy thousand engines 
uh, today, roughly 35,000 in the commercial space, 35,000 in the military space, and, and about 300,000 people in the sky at any given time. And how do you take care of those engines? And it turns out GE is using AI and digital twin technology uh, in some pretty interesting ways to do that. So uh, you can imagine that you would model these things anyway, and then you'd have a service contract. In fact, I believe these days the airlines don't actually own the engines that the aircraft engine manufacturer does for liability reasons. In any case, uh, what they do now is uh, instead of having a 30,000 hour checkup, if you will, they're monitoring so many different parameters They create a digital trend, twin, excuse me, of, I forget the number of components, but very many components, and you can track them on a flight by flight basis. His comment was, look, we're, we're taking um, general maintenance and, and bringing it down to a model of one around a single engine. We can look to see what the plane's environment is. Is it going in an area that's very cold, very warm? How many uh, takeoffs and landings does it have? Uh, we can actually look uh, and, and sort of decide when things are going to be needing repair or not uh, without uh, looking at a schedule. And he says that they're able to um, take the digital twin, so a model that encapsulates all this idea, do metrics, measurements of the engines themselves, put the two on an ongoing basis in a model that, that updates itself, and uh, that they save something in the order of several billions of dollars in the course of the year to their, um, their partners, so the people who buy these engines or lease them, I guess, is the proper way. But it was, it was very impressive, frankly, to see uh, AI being used to inform these living models. You create a model with the kinds of things that you would expect from first principles, and then you use AI to sort of refine those models, taking in real world data, and, and you use it to actually deliver these services. Uh, very impressive, I thought. So, the, uh, so that was one. Um, and then there was another one, which was also, I think, interesting around the data explosion generally. We talk about AI as being really a new way to mine data, you know, data analytics writ large with some other learning capabilities. And there was a former exec of uh, GlaxoSmithKline, John Baldoni, who's now with the startup um, in predictive medicine. But in any case, he, he reviewed um, a project where GSK working with DOE and with a bunch of hospitals you know, so they had this idea that the dark matter, all of this uh, proprietary data in pharma um, could be used more effectively if we could get access at it and we could use artificial intelligence again with simulation to, um, you know, to look at this data and come up with leads. And in specific, they, they picked a cancer project and I believe it was in 2 million or so uh, molecules that GSK uh, donated all the information for, and by his estimate, it would take, well, I don't know, five years or so to get something from that and try and maybe get a compound into uh, phase two trials. That's typically a five-year process. Anyway, they were able to put all the data, curate it, which was a big, a big task, into a single location, uh, apply these tools, and you, uh, with 16 hours of simulation, um, pick out uh, 200 candidates, and one of those candidates today is actually in phase two trials. So it was another, um, another indication that if uh, getting AI to be effective 
uh, and that's beyond simple data analytics. You really need to get at this um, storehouse of data we've been building, particularly in the in the health world, and they were able to do that successfully. So, um, so again, two heavy hitting examples, I think, of how this notion of combining, you know, deep learning, learning models with with traditional simulation uh, and modeling can be effective to deliver uh, concrete industrial applications. I mean, pretty impressive. What I like about both of those examples is that they're blending AI with traditional high-performance computing. Digital twins are something in particular that we've heard about in HPC, regardless of AI in recent years. And the idea of using ongoing data collection with uh, machine learning and deep learning models in order to refine those digital twins on an ongoing basis and improve their accuracy or fidelity is particularly interesting in terms of uh, forward-looking use of these technologies. Same thing on the biosciences, uh, getting to see the merger of big data analytics, machine learning, and traditional HPC to push these models farther. Now, you said the other big takeaway from the event was on technology transfer. Did they have some particular notes on how they wanted to see that take place and what the role of the DOE was? You know, truthfully, they didn't. Um, and that was a little disappointing. Other than there was a comment, you know, direct quote on one of the panels uh, from Rick Stevens, who uh, is one of the leaders in the science world on this AI for science uh, initiative that's taking place. Anyway, he was asked directly, um, you know, what's your what's your sort of takeaway message here for the attendees? And he says, we're open. The labs, DOE labs are open for business. What that means, how you actually do that transfer, um, I don't think that's really clear. There is this new lab partnering service, and apparently, you know, that's um, it's relatively new, but it should open a window to at least identify and match people with internal expertise. Um, I think that technology transfer has kind of a checkered history. You know, big firms perhaps can take advantage of it. Small firms, it's a little bit harder. So it's not clear yet that. Um, how effective this will be other than you've got a new office for AI, you have this um, this new, you, you have a new position, which I did not mention earlier, but I believe, yes, chief commercialization officer. I didn't know there was such a thing for DOE, but there is now uh, Connor Prochaska, who um, has that title, is also the director of the uh, technology transitions uh, department in DOE. So they are at least building some structure. How effective? That's that's an interesting question. Actually, I'd like your take on that. Well, it's interesting because normally when you talk about technology transfer from the DOE, you're coming from the standpoint that the DOE is at the forefront of scientific exploration, as it typically is with the national labs and in particular with our space in high-performance computing and supercomputing. The interesting thing is when you talk about AI, I don't think of the DOE as being at the absolute forefront. The forefront, you know, this is all already tech transfer that we got from the hyperscale part of the market. The real leaders are the tier one hyperscale companies, whether it's Facebook, Microsoft, Google, Baidu, Apple. You know, these companies are real leaders in AI. And what we're seeing is the technology transfer from that into high-performance computing, into the, including the supercomputing labs. Now, DOE might be taking a little more of a scientific approach to those. And I'm all for what can the DOE do to advance science and scientific models. But in terms of a chief commercialization officer, I would like to think that the, the major cloud services companies already have it in their sites to 
create cloud services for viable markets, and they want to host those on their cloud. So it might be redundant in a sense. Now, I'm, I'm pro-science in general, so sure, let's try it. Let's go do both. And Tiffany, this harks back to something you've talked about before with regard to some of the town hall meetings that the uh, U.S. administration has formulated. Yeah, that's right. So so to your point, I mean, currently that that leadership that the hyperscale and the cloud space has in in with with regards to AI is exactly what the DOE is acknowledging, and and that is their perception, and that is one of the um, essential uh, re- reasons for their their starting this AI for Science town hall series, which is another. You know, John laid out a lot of of. Um, the, the developments um, that reflect the growing importance and um, activity of, of AI in, in the government space, but um, definitely this this is and, and could be a big element of this AI for Town Hall series. The first one of these kicked off at Argonne Lab uh, in August, and um, you know, John mentioned uh, Rick Stevens, who who spoke at the Innovation X Lab. Well, he's also one of the co-PIs for this AI for Science Town Hall. And so that's a big acknowledgement that these hyperscalers have the lead, but that a lot of what they're doing, you know, while it's good for, for their purposes, it won't be really suitable for the science side and that science has some unique requirements, especially around uncertainty, quantification, and explainability that um, it has to ensure it gets on in a, in a way that's right for science. So that's um, one of the reasons for that. So and notably, it's uh, following the model of the exascale Exascale Town Hall um, model, which we saw back in the the mid 2000s, 2007, I think, and you know that of course uh, developed into a robust national program with the Exascale Computing Initiative and the Exascale Computing Project (ECP), and now we see these efforts coming to fruition. So I, it's it's still early days, but we see all this activity. Uh, and attention, um, you know, that could develop in a similar way into a targeted funded program. Um, so, so far there's been, there have been three so far, three of these town halls at the uh, the Coral the coral Labs, you know, um, at Argonne, Oak Ridge, and, and Lawrence Berkeley, and there's going to be a fourth and final one uh, for the, uh, the AI Science Town Hall held this month in Washington. Uh, that'll be October 22nd and 23rd, where some of the findings that they've collected at these other meetings will be presented, and then there'll be a, a report published at the end of the year. So we'll be digging more into that. But I think what's interesting here is, um, you know, we kind of we might see this sort of virtuous um, virtuous cycle or path where uh, the, these things will be pushed through in different ways. You know, so we might see. Uh, and maybe you alluded to, we might see some transfer coming from hyperscale. I'm sure we will, right? And already have from hyperscale to industry. But then some of the things that, that science requires um, could also be important to, to industry, especially on the manufacturing side of industry, uh, the General Electrics and the Boeings and so forth. So perhaps we'll see some transfer even from hyperscale into the into the DOE, into the science world, and then and then back back into industry. So I think that's kind of interesting. Meanwhile, also this week in HPC, we have another quick story, but coming from a different part of the U.S. government as DARPA is starting a project looking to speed up network performance with a project called FastNICS. 
Right. And so DARPA keeps coming up on the podcast. There's been a lot of activity, a lot of it uh, related directly or indirectly to the electronics resurgence initiative that kicked off back in 2017, June 2017, part of the uh, big investment they're making in in post-Morse technologies. But the latest one um, is this FastNix program, FastNix network interface cards. Um, It aims to boost network performance by a factor of 100 uh, through... um, a reexamination, um, like reinvention. Re- they're trying to reinvent the entire network stack. So there's an acknowledgement here that on the processing end, processing side applications are being accelerated uh, by a combination of um, GPUs and, and CPUs and these other heterogeneous methods. Uh, but on the, the network interfaces have have failed to uh, to keep pace with that. So uh, current technology we're looking at is um, current technology that we have is capable network and processing at about um, 100 terabits, but then the network stack is only uh, at about 10 to 100 gigabits. So there's this delta there. So the the, the DARPA um, folks are exploring uh, what they call a clean, a clean slate approach to rework those uh, those architectures. Yeah, there's really an informative chart that goes along with uh, George Leopold's article for this on HPC Wire that really makes the point that if you look at the end-to-end spectrum, that the LAN or top-of-rack switches, as well as the memory channels and processing elements, are basically able to peak operate at a level of performance that's a thousand x to even ten thousand x faster than what the network stack has been able to deliver and it's that bottleneck that the doe is really trying to approach with this there's a great quote that's uh, part of that article saying uh, it all starts with the hardware and software can't make things faster than the physical layer will allow so we first we have to change the physical layer. I thought that was uh, uh, a really interesting quote from Jonathan Smith, who's a program mo- um, program manager in DARPA's Information Innovation Office. Mm-hmm. Right, and going along with that, the, the milestone goal for this program will be to demonstrate a 10 terabits per second network interface hardware, um, so very much hardware, five focus, physical layer, and then the next step will be the system software, so they're also looking to create uh, an open source OS that would enable the faster parallel data transfer. So uh, between the network and um, hardware and the application. So the complete complete stack and, um, you know, they'll be looking to speed um, applications, distributed me- machine learning, and also better handle sensor data and the ingest and the, the pre-processing. There was an open solicitation, which is now closed. So it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this. Yeah, we'll keep watching. Uh, We get a lot of these cool initiatives out of DARPA. So that's another interesting story to see how this can benefit HPC. Tiffany, John, I appreciate you both joining me on the podcast this week. Our listeners can catch the full stories on HPC Wire. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.